Hello. Hello and welcome. Thank you very much for coming to this session. We are uh, looking at being digital consumers and moving to digital creators for young people. And uh, I'd like to introduce the panel that's joining me here. I'm Tom Kenyon. Um, I've been working in the sort of getting young people into digital making space for the last two years at Nesta. Uh, on the panel here, we've got Dan Effigan from Ardman. Bethany Kobe from Technology Will Save Us, and Howard Baker from the BBC. Um, if anyone went to the keynote speech yesterday, you'll already have heard the phrase from consumer to creator. You've probably seen it potentially in print around. It's really uh, one of those phrases that brings together a lot of different theories around young people and digital learning. And I just want to talk a little bit more about that um, and how it feeds into what we're talking about today. Um, Research shows uh, that young people are spending between an hour and a half up to three hours plus uh, consuming digital media and digital technology products every day. And when we talk about consuming technology, we talk about looking at things and being slightly alienated by the experience, not knowing how it's made, but just taking and taking and taking. I mean, we venerate Apple and other brands for uh, the point of view that they're it just works. That's one of their phrases. It just works. But the thing is, it doesn't just work. There is uh, technology behind that. And not understanding how that may works and how you can have an agency in that it has an effect on how young people think about technology and how they use it. And one of the reasons we look at um, young people learning about how to make digital technologies as being important, there's, kind of, there's, there's two schools of thought, really. Uh, one is economic, that the... Uh, the Economy, the digital economy in the UK uh, is about 8% of GDP, uh, looking to move up to about 12% in uh, 2016. Um, and to grow at the rate that it could potentially grow, the sector needs developers. Um, and there are 500,000 unfilled technology jobs in Europe and about 100,000 unfilled jobs with kind of digital or IT means in the UK. There's a, a skills gap. So that's one of the reasons that it's being really promoted at a government level that, that young people should learn about computing and code and digital making. Um, but there's, a, there's another point of view, a, a different way of looking at it, which is probably the one that I subscribe to, is that there is something intrinsically valuable about learning how technology works. Because the world we live in is computational. Um, the 21st century, everything is a computer. Your fridge has computers in it, your cars has computers in it, your television has computers in it. It's not just about a telephone or uh, an iPad or a computer in the living room. This is about your bank accounts, how the economy is regulated, how future medicines are being designed by, by computer scientists uh, applying that to uh, genetic code. So to know how to create technology, to know how programming works, how machines talk to each other, is actually a way of understanding the world. Um, and that's really important. I think that you could say that that's a right for young people to understand the world around them in the same way that you teach young people at school how circuit works or how um, reproduction happens or how anything else in the world works, just so you get an understanding that actually... These are how things fit together. You can have an impact on that by doing these things. That becomes really important. And then if you do understand how to make things fit with technology as a young person, then potentially you can solve bigger problems than you could before because there are different data streams. There are social networks. There are ways of connecting different ideas together online. You can express yourself 
differently online to a wider audience to find people who um, enjoy the same things you do or, or can help you to, to learn from. You have more agency in the world because if you see a problem, you know that maybe in your community you can fix that. And yes, there is a sense that if you learn how computers work, there is potentially a route to better jobs. But it's not just about finding a better class of employee for Google. I'm banging the drum in today's session because we think that this is really important from a creative point of view. Um, but learning, the fact that learning code is good for you, that learning how to make things digitally, how to 3D print or design um, is good for you, is not necessarily the most inspiring message to get young people wanting to take part. And that's what we want to talk about today, is how uh, our three speakers and their different organisations are really trying to inspire young people not just to use a resource to learn code, but to actively want to engage and learn something, a reason to do it, not just the means by which you could. So uh, hopefully you'll uh, enjoy these three talks. And what we're going to do is take five-minute sessions, five-minute presentations. We're going to keep quite tightly to that time so that at the end of the session we'll have a good 20 minutes for questions and, and discussion with the audience. I'm going to, if Wi-Fi allows, I'm going to follow the Twitter feed while this is going on. So if you think of questions as we're going along, do tweet them. I'll make a note and can feed those back to the panel at the end. Um, but we're going to roll consecutively rather than have questions in between e e each presentation so that we're all answering as a panel at the end. Okay. Um, well, with that then, with no further ado, I will hand over to Mr. Dan Effigan from Ardman. Um, so, um, Ardman, I work with Ardman, and part of Ardman's vision statement, uh, when you read it, has a desire to be the most inspirational company in the world, like for our audiences and for our staff and for the people we work with. Um, and uh, this kind of desire to inspire as part of our vision is obviously there uh, to, to drive us, to kind of draw us on, to make us better. But it's also there because it seems to be part of our kind of DNA. It's something that the company has consistently fallen towards. We've always gravitated towards projects which allow us to share our passions, the things that we're really passionate with about, uh, with the rest of the world. Um, and so from, uh, from the beginnings, you know, Morph and uh, Tony Hart, obviously the amount of kind of creativity about getting out there, about doing stuff, uh, up to more recent projects like the Tate Movie Project, um, which was a project that uh, was around filmmaking and storytelling and try to inspire the nation uh, of kids to get involved. Uh, we've been kind of gradually gravitated to these projects, gradually uh, kind of got closer uh, and uh, they all kind of hang together with a desire to inspire creativity. It's just kind of something we did. Um, and uh, round about the end of the Tate Movie Project, uh, we were, uh, at the same time, the Next Gen report came out. It's a report by Nesta, um, and it felt like it was one of the first ones. It was definitely the first one that I really engaged with um, that came out, which was like a call to arms. It was about three years ago. Call to arms to say, hey, guys, you know, we're great at this stuff. The UK is amazing. Uh, we're really leading the pack, but there is a failure in being able to fill these jobs. There's a failure in being able to um, uh, kind of make this, uh, find the right skills and the right people. Uh, and it's happening from the beginning, from kind of schools upwards. And I was reading this report and we were just finishing the Tate, which had been really, really successful and had inspired a lot of kids to do something. And, you know, the combination of those two things uh, led us to thinking, well, we could do something about this. Like, we're all passionate about it. A big group of uh, gaming geekers alongside a load of kind of animation 
uh, people in this building. We're like, well, well, let's actually do something. And so we've been on the journey for the last three years or so, uh, just to talk to people, hang out with people, kind of shuffle up beside groups and say, you know, can we do anything? What can we do? Maybe we could do this project. And been pushing and pushing, and and uh, it's all starting to fall into place. I mean, it feels like there's a there's a general turning across uh, this whole whole sector, this whole sector, kind of uh, this area. So, uh, so that's quite exciting. Um, the one project that's uh, already come to fruition is out there, uh, is the uh, Sean's Game Academy. Um, and basically it is uh, using kids' love of Sean, uh, combined with kids' loves for games, to say, why not make us some stuff? Um, and I think making stuff is a massively powerful thing. There's a few points in my life that were like, totally um, integral to the decisions I made uh, and the passions that I followed. And one of them is the first time that I did some coding, which was in, I think, BBC Basic. And I put it in, and I hit a button, and something did something. And that's magic. It was magic then, and it's still magic now. When you kind of make things do stuff, you're like, oh my god, that's, that, 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 it's, like, it's like I'm a god of some kind. So it's all really nice. Um, and so we're trying to do that uh, with, with the Game Academy, just trying to inspire kids to get out there and make some stuff. Apologies if you're in the uh, kids as commissioners earlier. I know my colleague George was talking about this, and you may have seen this video already, but it, it sums up what we're doing very well. Yeah. Hey, you. Do you like video games? Who doesn't, right? They're awesome. They let you explore amazing landscapes. You can become cool characters with mind-blowing powers and take on quests you could only dream of. But hang on. What if you could create your own characters and design your own worlds? The Nominal Trust and Arvin Animations have teamed up. We're releasing a huge pile of character places and props from the Shaun the Sheep universe into the Scratch coding platform. And now we want you to make the game for us and win some rad prizes. You may not know, but here at Arvin Animations, we've been making games for years. We've made racing games, battling games, platformers and puzzlers with lovely characters from the Arvin back catalogue as well as well-known CBBC shows. Now we know making games might seem complicated, but fear not, my young game warriors. All you need is a good idea, and we'll provide the tools to get you started. We also have a panel of totes prepared game industry bigwigs, sharing their experiences and helping you along the way. The winner will get to come and visit the Arvin Animation Studio. They have their game tuned to perfection by the Arvin Digital Team and have a statue of gold made for their Well, maybe not a statue of Now what we're looking for is something a bit different. Something that puts our character and his friends into a whole new scene. Whatever that adventure is, it's up to you. So, if you're a fan of Sean the Sheep or just love computer games, press the start button now and get it. Sean's Game Academy. Come on, you lot. Let's make fun. move it on otherwise it'll keep flashing into your brains um, and so and that's I mean, that kind of launched about a month ago uh, we're only a month in um, but already we're starting to get some of the games come back I did have a kind of I was thinking about trying to play a game live here and getting people and I thought this is that all get too messy so I would uh, suggest why not go to Sean's Game Academy have a look at the gallery see the stuff that's going in um, and you know what's so amazing about it is that kids imagination plus kind of uh, a bit of drive just comes up with mental and uh, that mental is a beautiful and wonderful thing uh, and so they're great fun to play um, if sometimes a little challenging um, but we're at the beginning of it we expect to have quite a lot more um, coming in we're really looking forward to it uh, and this is the first project of hopefully many that we're going to be doing in this area so you know we're, we're big fans and uh, 
hopefully everyone else can become fans as well and we'll make beautiful things. Thank you. My name's Bethany Kobe, and I'm from um, a business called Technology Will Save Us. Um, I'm the co-founder and CEO. We're a design-led technology startup in East London, um, but we focus on learning tools. So um, what we really focus on is products, software, and um, resources that help instigate learning in the 21st century. Um, and our focus is not on necessarily the screen as the platform for creating, but rather um, the kind of world um, as a platform create for creating. So electronics, soldering, programming, and design, those are the things we focus on. Because we think in order to be a digital creator, um, you have to know a lot of different skills around technology, not just screen-based skills. And we think that gives you more opportunity to make more things. So what we do is we create um, gadgets that anyone can make. They're basically DIY technology kits that teach you things like soldering, electronics, programming, and design. Um, and we design them around everyday life themes like gardening, cycling, um, and gaming because we think people learn more when they actually care about what they're going to make. Um, and so some of our kits are things like electro-dough, um, so conductive play-dough, really great for young kids um, and lots of adults actually, to play with something as simple as play-dough um, that's actually conductive. It allows you to explore electronics, it allows you to make switches, it allows you to turn LEDs on and motors spin, which is a really exciting way for um, just using kind of imagination to start to understand technology as a tool within life for problem solving. Um, we also make things like the Thirsty Plant Kit, where you make a moisture sensor out of plaster and nails. Um, it's solar powered. Um, and then when your plant needs watering, an LED flashes to tell you to water your plant. So again, has a function, has a role, um, uses technology, but it's not about the tech. It's actually about solving a problem, making something fun, making something interesting. And it just so happened that you did learn electronics. You learned about solar power. You learned about sensors. Um, but we don't lead with the skills, we lead with the fact that you're making something really fun and interesting. Um, we have things like the DIY speaker kit, where you solder your own amplifier, and you design and construct speakers out of any material. So you actually explore the materiality of sound. Um, we have speakers made out of everything from wood to glass to books to tennis shoes. Um, this one was made out of a balloon. Someone in one of our workshops made it out of a balloon, and it was so great that we now include a balloon in all of our kits. Um, it sounds really fantastic. Um, and we also make things specifically for educators, makerspaces, clubs, etc. Um, so we have DI, sorry, we have education boxes, which are collections of our kits in packs of 12 to 15 that allow for teachers, code clubs, to bring our kits within their um, spaces and in their curriculum um, with all the resources they need to do that. And one thing that's really important to us, and we've learned this over doing workshops with tons of teachers, tons of young people, tons of families, that learning doesn't have to just happen on the screen. So it happens on the screen and off the screen. We have lots of worksheets that help with planning what game you're going to design, strategies, um, fact sheets. So on and off the screen is really important because it helps engage all different kinds of learners. Um, on and off the tech, that the tech isn't where creativity always happens. It's planning, strategizing, imagining, writing, um, which is really exciting for teachers and education around cross-curricular activities. Um, and it happens in the classroom and around the kitchen table. There's a lot of research that shows that families that participate in young people's educations end up helping their children to actually have retain more skills, to have more confidence around what they're interested in. Um, so it's really important to us that we're not just developing kits for education, but we're developing learning tools for everyone. 
Um, uh, one of the most important things about the way we design our kits, which I think is really special and kind of really close to, I think, all of our hearts, is that we design our kits around user-centered insights. So we do about six to ten regular workshops um, in the UK, and we do several globally. And all of our workshops are opportunities opportunities for us to gather insights around what people are learning, but most importantly, to pilot our kits. So no kit goes to market unless we've done several workshops to learn the barriers, how hard is it for people to do things, develop resources around real insights. Um, and our insights don't just help us develop kits, they also help us understand what kits to make. So we worked with um, Nesta, we won some funding from Nesta to actually work with young people to understand what were the actual things that they were learning in school, um, and most importantly, what did they care about. And some themes came out of that that we developed kits around. Um, I'm not going to go into all of them, but you should definitely look at our kits online. Um, but this was basically the first minimum viable kit. So we make a kit that's just good enough to do workshops with. We get feedback on the experience, and then we actually design a kit that we think is iconic, interesting, and can live in the world of iPhones in a way that is actually really exciting. So this is our DIY gamer kit, which we launched in October at the Wired conference in London, um, which came out of that Nesta funding. And basically, it allows you to make, play, code, and adventure in games. So you solder your own game console, and then you play two games it comes with, Pong and Snake, that were um, programmed by a 15-year-old that did a work placement with us, who's doing his third work placement with us right now. Um, and then you basically learn basic animations, um, and then you learn how to actually do programming and design your own games. And the resources around that are really important, as you can imagine. So we have how-to videos, we have project sheets, we have step-by-step um, -step guides, we have all different kinds of learning support and tools for actually helping people be inspired and go through the process of making. Because again, people learn different. Some people love manuals, some people just dive right in. And that's a really nice way to support different kinds of learning. Um, and I think some of the most important things we've learned over the last two years is the new curriculum is really exciting, obviously, because it's encouraging something as important as computer science and um, technology to be a part of the curriculum, but it's also really terrifying, especially for teachers that do not feel comfortable with this kind of um, content. And what we've seen is that kits and workshops actually help with co-learning. So teachers don't have to be the bearer of knowledge. They can actually host kind of workshop scenarios where young people are actually contributing to the learning and that the teacher is learning at the same time. And that's a really exciting way of easing into what otherwise can be a really challenging way for teachers to actually introduce new skills. Um, another thing we really are excited about is the fact that we think that the focus and the way technology is going and the way education is going is that it's not just about ICT and DT, it's actually about technology across curriculum. Why can't technology be a, a part of physical education? Um, why can't it be a part of writing? Why can't it be a part of all parts of curriculum? And we're seeing lots of exciting examples from a lot of our teachers using kits across curriculum, where they're not just learning technology and computing, they're learning all different kinds of things, um, and in the physical world, which is quite exciting. So these are just a few kind of key things that we've kind of taken out from the last couple of years of working with our kids in schools, with families. Um, so everyone learns more when they care about what they're making. That's just kind of a natural human thing. When you're interested in it, if you like music, make synthesizers, make a speaker. So we lead with the things that people are interested in. Um, making things in the physical world helps all different kinds of learners retain skills.
it just is different when you're making something with your hands. <clears throat> you're processing in different ways. Um, and we think that will increasingly become a really interesting way for learning to happen. Co-learning, as I mentioned in workshops, is a great way for um, teachers to work and learn with their, their students. Cool gadgets and devices are interesting to boys, girls, good students, challenging students, traditional teachers, um, progressive teachers. We see, you know, you walk into a classroom and you say, we're going to make these. There is a lot of excitement because a lot of young people don't own their own gadgets. I think we assume that everyone owns a tablet and a phone. A lot of 10-year-olds, it's not theirs. It's their parents. Um, and so there's something exciting about young people going home with their own gadgets. Um, it's quite empowering. It incurs a lot of confidence in them. Um, and then I think the last thing is we think that, you sh that, that it's a really nice thing to basically um, help teachers um, teach the way young people love, which is hands-on. So that's really a part of our, um, our remit. So that's what we do. Um, and that's, those are the things we've learned so far. Thank you. Um, I'm Howard Baker, and uh, I'm here to talk about inspiring digital creativity. Um, I run the uh, innovations team inside BBC Learning, and I bumped into a colleague earlier, as you do in, in these things, and he said, Howard, he said, I always thought you had the best job in the BBC, and, you know, and I think he's, he's right, because I get to, to make things like this, which is our which is our little programmable badge, that is. That's, kids can sit down and program that. Um, so we picked up in, in 2011, our team picked up that there was a sort of coding crisis, if you like. There was a, two, two major reports came out, one from the Royal Society, one from, from NextGen. And we sort of started beaming away. We thought, great, because we were interested in technology and coding and all that sort of stuff, being an innovation team. We thought, oh, great, we'll do that. So you can imagine my absolute joy. Actually, it was a, it was a double joy when in October 2015, the, the, the DJ, the BBC's DJ, said that two, 2015 would be the year the BBC worked to inspire a new generation to, to be virtual, uh, sorry, virtual, digital creatives. And, and my, my second joy said, with coding. So the DJ of the BBC said, with coding. Um, I'm going to play a short film which shows us uh, a, a little bit about what the BBC means by that and, and what they plan to do. That will teach kids to read, write and count. But actually, in the 21st century, an equally valuable skill is to be able to interact with computers, not just use them as a tool, but actually to tell them precisely what to do. Over 30 years ago, the BBC played a leading role in helping Britain get to grips with the first wave of personal computers. In the 1980s, the BBC not only broadcast programming for kids about coding programming, but in partnership with ACORN, shipped over a million BBC microcomputers into schools and homes. Now the digital age is presenting new challenges. We are going to need a million more people who can work in the technology sector over the next 10 years. We don't have them. We've got to help people be encouraged to go into that sector. The BBC will help to bring coding into every home, business and school in the UK using our biggest brands, commissioning special programmes and creating innovative content for schools. The BBC will help people develop the skills to build a website, design an app or make the most of 3D printing. And we won't be doing it on our own. We can bring together different organisations that are already involved in coding and help to be the glue that brings them together. The BBC 
they can be helping kids how to code, but at the same time, really showing them with real life examples how they can relate to their future. What we need is a generation of geeks who teach. Classical education used to be ancient Greek. It should now be modern geek. The BBC can have, uh, I'd say, a transformative role in this. The BBC has power uh, in, in, the, in the best sense of the word. It has the power to inspire Now, as the film said, over 30 years ago, there was a need in this country to raise the profile of a technological revolution um, that was going to change our, change our lives. I mean, the microcomputer was coming and um, everybody was worried about it. At that time, uh, that time around, the BBC made TV programmes about programming, about coding and about how to use this new technology. And they commissioned the building of a, new, of a, of a microcomputer, the BBC microcomputer, and, and more importantly, a language to code it with, um, BBC Basic. At that time, as now, there were a number of companies and people and organisations working in, in the same area. Um, you, could, you could go to all the magazines, you could buy small computers, you could make them. Um, there was a, it was quite a vibrant hobby, hobbyist uh, community at that time. But what it needed was, was a big organisation to, to really inspire a generation. So working with those organisations, we, we inspired all of us, inspired a generation to engage with this new technology. And from that inspiration, a number of really important industries started in this country. And it seems that we're in a very similar position now, that um, the BBC, with many others, is looking how to inspire a new generation of, of digital creatives to, to engage with the computer revelation and to change their lives so that new industries can develop and, and grow in the UK. And, and that phrase that, that is becoming to be used now, we turn from digital consumers into digital creators. Right from the beginning uh, of, of our work in this, we've been talking to organisations, we've been talking to people, to educators, to, to a large number of people about... Uh, had a really nice long chat with Tom over there about, about how can we do, what can we do. And everybody at the time acknowledged that, there was a, that times had changed. Things weren't like, like back in the 80s. Uh, computers were ubiquitous now. They were simple to use and everybody was using them. But it appeared that fewer and fewer people knew how they worked and more importantly knew how to make them do the things that they wanted to do, how to code them, how to program them. Um, and alongside this, as partly as a, as a consequence of that simple ubiquity, and importantly, partly as a consequence of how the subject was being treated in schools, fewer and fewer people wanted to a career in this area. They, they saw it as unattractive and actually as unattainable. There was no way that they could get a career in this area. So when we asked everybody what it is that they could do, they were very, very clear. They wanted the BBC to shine a great big spotlight on this to highlight the UK's achievements both in the past and in the present, to show what a fascinating and creative industry this was, and to spotlight the stars, the people who are creating this world. They wanted us to, to in a way, normalise this industry for everybody, so make it feel achievable and desirable. And this is important, especially for girls. So how are we going to do that? What's, what's the overall plan? Um, our primary focus will be, will be the younger generation, um, we plan to help them understand this new digital world, their, their digital world, and how to become creative in it. 
We also want to, to inspire our mainstream audiences to also engage with it and, and in a sense, to go on that journey with the younger kids, to, to, to be parents and to be people who say, yes, you should be doing this because parents are important in this chain. Yes, you should be doing this. This is a job I want you to go and do. I think you should go and do. Um, we want to take the nation on a journey of digital discovery, opening up the BBC with our brands and our talent to bring digital to life. We want to celebrate uh, our digital heritage and our digital potential. We want to shine a light on the activities of the educators in this area, and there are many of them. That's not just education with a big E, that's education with a small E, all those people out there getting kids to learn about coding and to get kids creative, not just learning coding, but to be creative with coding. Um, and, to, and to help our audience navigate to those areas, to those educators, and to, in, in a way, help fill in the gaps between what they know and what the educators or, or the trainees will be doing. And we'll be working in partnerships with, with creative and tech companies, and we will be um, theming key BBC initiatives around this, around digital creativity and coding. Um, more plan These are very early plans. I mean, more, more detail will be coming in the future. Um, so this is, at the moment, sort of, of where we are. But, but, the, but the goal is clear, it's firm, that we want to inspire our, our audiences to become digitally aware and digitally creative. Thank you. Okay, so I want to uh, open up the panel for questions, but before we do that, I just it'd be really helpful to us to get a bit of a, a, a level from the room about your your knowledge in this area. So, um, for example, I know Dan talked about using Scratch, but how, does everyone here know what, what Scratch is and how that works? Good. One person. One person. Two people. Three people. Oh, no, look, people. Ah, I see. See, they're the hidden coders, you yeah. see. They saw one person said, yeah, I'll go ahead. All right. Yeah. Do you want to just talk well, a bit? Uh, so it's a kind of coding language developed by MIT, um, and it's, it's close to code in terms of when you look at the words that are written there. Um, they directly relate to, to uh, the kind of the standard that falls across lots of different coding. But rather than having to type it in, because coding is, I, I used to be a coder, kind of still am a coder, I'd say, um, but it, things like syntax errors and putting a comma rather than where a space should be and stuff like that is really frustrating. And when you're a kid, you're a bit like, why doesn't that work? Because I put a comma there rather than that. And so they've got rid of all of those problems by... Um, by placing this code into physical blocks, like kind of a bit like Lego um, uh, or, or jigsaws. Uh, or jigsaws. Mm -hmm. And certain pieces fit with other pieces, and that allows you to kind of drag on and construct code bases from it. Uh, and it's very accessible. You can get onto the website, hit a button, and be in there straight away. Uh, and also, you can look in the games, and then um, uh, and you can open anyone else's work and start messing around with it and like remix their stuff. So it's a, it's a powerful platform. And is everyone uh, aware of how the, the ICT curriculum is, is changing this year? How many so, no's? There uh, are some no's. Yeah, yeah, there's some no's. So, um, so as of September this year, um, what was ICT in schools? So what was criticised for mostly teaching PowerPoint and Word and Excel uh, has been moved over to a curriculum called Computing, which includes computer science and elements of thinking about computer science and how you can make um, build pro small programs from a very young age, from, from primary age. So it's, it's going to be quite a challenge for primary schools. And then it also includes uh, more of the, the ICT as used to exist and um, 
something called digital citizenship, so being safe on the web uh, and understanding how, how to use the internet in, in different ways. So it's, it's really quite a big change for, for a lot of schools. And that sort of, um, that need is part of what's kind of crystallised this debate. It, sort of, it started off being about how to get that change into schools, but now I think it's coming up much more about, okay, so we're, we're doing that, how do we get people to, to want to do this? And it happens in September. Yeah, September this year. Soon. And teachers are worried. <laughs> and I think, interestingly, it's not primary teachers are so worried, it's actually secondary teachers, because it's sort of like that's the hard end, that's the end where, where they're being measured. Primary teachers, are, they're quite used to their kids getting in, doing stuff and making stuff, so they're quite, they're quite keen on it. They just want tools and things for kids to do. And primary teachers cross-curricular yeah, anyway, yeah. so they can put tools into things in slightly easier yeah. ways. But secondary teachers are going to be measured on this. Yeah. Right? For them, it's a... That's a big concern. Great. So um, if we, we've got questions, uh, please put up your hands. What I'd like to do is take sort of three questions at a time so we, uh, there's more time to think about them and we don't go around all, all the time. So. In terms of the, oh gosh, it's quite noisy. Um, in terms of the BBC looking at coding, in the past they had their own coding system, so they were able to use that because they owned it. My concern is I'm I'm doing an art show for CBBC, and off the back of it, I've been asked by Learning to do a coding arm of it, and it's for sort of it's because it's for CBBC audience. Really, it's key stage two. I'm struggling because there are lots of different coding systems out there for kids to use. I, my personal thing is that I think Scratch is probably the best one to use because it's sort of it's done by MIT. There isn't any advertising linked to it and things. But I've, when I, in my initial conversations, the BBC were worrying about giving preference to just one coding system. But if you're trying to explain coding, I feel like you need to use one so that it's clear, so that, you know, if I'm doing 10 episodes about coding, I'm coming at it using the same system each time. Mm. I wondered if the BBC of any can sort of respond to that a bit and just say, you know, <laughs> is there a way around that yeah. issue? Can, can I just use it? Scratch? <laughs> <laughs> okay, keep hold of that. I'm uh, particularly interested in specific ages because... Um, uh, you said primary, but I'm wondering if it can be a higher end of preschool. Can it be age six? All, to all of you, really, especially the, the making part and the gaming part and also the, the coding. I'm very interested in what, what is the youngest age for all this to happen. Great. Um, gentleman back, um, is that interesting? I wanted to raise the sceptical. Um, yeah. that we haven't learned from what happened last time. Um, we had a logo, it was great, it had a philosophy behind it. It went into schools, got turned into something that wasn't great. Um, I, w I want to hear what is so different now, because you can't motivate a young child by telling them they might, they might get a job in 20 years' time. Okay. Oh, sorry. Right, so we'll come back. We'll just uh, start with those, those three questions. So first of all, we've got one about... BBC strategy and we're working with partnerships, yeah. so enjoy Thank that you. one, Howard. Yeah, that's, that's very kind of you, yeah. um, So you get to the nitty-gritty about yeah, what language am I going to use. Um, yeah. One about the age of how we can reach different age groups and what are the different needs of those, and one more about kind of the curriculum and what lessons we can learn from, from previous mistakes. But yeah, Howard, if you Well, actually, the second question sort of helps with the first one, which is... There's a sort of an age, and there's an age range across this, and what you do for different age ranges tends to be different. You're right. I mean, you know, answering the second, the second question, I think yes, Seymour 
proved that you can do it for, for a very much younger age group. He'd, he'd invented the lo logo system, and there was a lot of research done in the late 60s and early 70s, especially around that young age group. Now, you're not going to get them to do um, basic, or you're not going to get them to do JavaScript. But if you give them symbolic languages, they can use that, and they can develop a coding experience or a programming experience, not a coding, a programming experience. And I think the same thing is, is true in this case. I mean, yes... There are, there are many languages, and it is going to be extremely hard to tie one down. So I think the answer is you don't. And the answer is you look at what age it is and what, and what languages are being used. Um, you, you're going to have to take some, advi some advice on this one and figure out what it is that, that wants to be done. I mean, this is, that's a detailed discussion. And, and you're right, it's a complex detailed discussion, and it's one that a lot of people have been talking about. We did some early work on this, and we did some early prototypes, which I can because I'm an innovation did some early prototypes. And in the end, we said, actually, let's make it web-based. So it's JavaScript, it's HTML, and it's CSS. So you can build web pages, you can do a hell of a lot now with that. And I suppose, I, in my mind, that's my personal, I'm sticking with that, because it's an extremely useful thing to know. Now, to give a five-year-old or a six-year-old a load of JavaScript is not going to be helpful. To give a ten-year-old is, is. They will be able to deal with that. So, you know, it is partly that, who you're talking to, why you're talking to them. Are you talking to them about a CBBC program to give them a load of JavaScript? It's going to, it's going to go, wow. So I, suppose, I suppose my issue was, in school, they use things like Scratch. They're yes. using Scratch, but there are other similar systems. There are yep. a lot of different similar systems, but very much they... They hide a lot of the intricacies yeah. of the code to keep, to keep the, you know, passing. It's the world we live in, I'm yeah. afraid. Yeah. I mean, just to add to that, I mean, I think also we've met a lot of really interesting um, groups that are helping teachers to make sense of the tools. Um, and I don't think there's a solution. I think it's more that teachers are using tools and sharing best practice. And it's the beginning of the shift. And so there are amazing teachers that are already using these tools that are creating resources and helping other people in their councils to use similar tools. And I think it is going to have to be a bit organic at the beginning. It's not going to be like someone just says, everyone you scratch, because yeah. Blockly's great and because other things are great. And I think it's going to be dependent on the kinds of tools that end up becoming more ubiquitous and more useful. And it's going to kind of have to be like that a little bit. But I do think that the block-based visual programming isn't going anywhere and that more things should utilize it, especially for younger age groups, because it's a great way to begin to understand programming principles, but not to be mistaken with learning programming and coding. And I think a lot of stuff we hear is, oh, my kids are learning programming, they've done Scratch, which you've, you've, you've made, you've changed variables. You've done that, but you haven't actually gone to the next step. And I think some of it's nomenclature, just awareness. What's the difference between programming and coding? Like people using all these different terminologies. So I think that's also a, a minefield of complexity. <laughs> and I think uh, what you're saying there, because this kind of relates back to all of the different platforms, but mainly to the age thing. I, I feel like at the base of all kinds of coding languages and, and everything that you're trying to learn, it's about looking at the world and breaking the world down into a series of problems, like an algorithm is the official term, but a sequence of things that can solve that problem. Um, and I know some of the youngest things are involved. Uh, there was a great one that one of the teachers uh, has been, uh, put on the internet, so I was reading like, all his resources, was getting a load of kids to talk about the order that they do things once they get up um, to leave the house. So it's like, okay, I get up, I get dressed, 
it's like, well, okay, you get up and you get dressed, um, but like, how do you get dressed? Or I get up and I have breakfast, and they say, but you haven't got dressed yet, so you're naked, and mm. you know, kind of, and making them work through a problem mm. until they can say, like a robot, kind of these are the sequences, mm. and that that's the core of it is that algorithmic kind of design. That's what we're trying to do is is being logical about the way you look at the world, and if they learn that, which you could do from you know, three, four, five, it's, it's at that point you're just talking about looking at the world and breaking down problems. But if you do that, I think all of the languages you're learning and any language you do learn leads to that kind of generalisation of solving problems and hopefully they can jump from coding language to, to coding language then. I think this goes to your question around how young. Um, and again, from my experience with the world of physical things, my three-year-old uses Electrodo. Cool. There's so many ways to bring, and it's about principles. It's not about making a bunch of programmers. It's about principles that then you can apply to problem solving. Because not everyone's going to be a programmer. That's not the point. It's about just understanding the principles, and you can apply it to lots of industries, lots of things. It's worth having a look at, um, there's an organization in Wales called Technocamps. They've got a really great website, mm -hmm. and they've been doing uh, a thing called Playground Computing, um, which is all introducing technological concepts without ever touching technology. So lots of playground games that sort of introduce those kind of principles. And There's stuff. even dances. Dances yeah. are, that explain algorithms mm. that, that are really cool. I'm aware we haven't really touched yeah. on... Can, we, can I start before the BBC? Can I just just yeah. something to add to it is uh, uh, we, you talked about a failure in, um, uh, in Logo or things like that, but my, I talked earlier about those points in my life where I got drawn down a path and one of them was learning BBC Basic, uh, and another one was playing Granny's Garden obsessively um, uh, at my school. And so the being inspired by something um, that, it's like, how do you make this? How could you do this? And then realizing that I had the opportunity to do it, uh, it, it informed me. So I wouldn't, for me personally, I wouldn't call it a failure. That's what I want yeah. to add. And I, I'd like to add that I think that is, it is different now. Things like the maker movement have transformed like the accessibility of technology. There's Amazing Maker Fair had like what eight million people at it in San Francisco. I mean, the world of hobbyists and making and technology is a completely different landscape than it was then. Um, and it isn't just about computers; it's actually about a broader perspective of, of technology as a creative tool. Um, and then I also think that professions that exist now didn't exist then. So my co-founder, he he builds large-scale interactive installations, object spaces. He does something called physical computing. He uses an Arduino, open source platforms, open source hardware. Like That whole world has just completely changed the potential of technology. And that involves computers. It's just not the medium. It's the tool. And I think that is like super exciting for the future of education and making Absolutely. in general. And I, want, I, I mean, again, I, I do take issue. I, I think that period was, was a success. I think, I think we did create a, 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 a community, a, a, a nation of people who actually understood it. And they weren't all coders, that's true. But there was enough of them in there and enough of people understood what was happening and they were excited by it that they, they did create extremely important industries. And we have a, a bunch of skills and a bunch of industries in this country that came from that period of time. You talk to people who were around that period of time and that one of their big touch touchstones for that thing is is their experience of coding and experience of computers. Mm -hmm. BBC Micro or the Spectrum or the other machines that are out there, it was an important time and it created a, a, a lot. And my feeling is, is that bubble of, of experience took us through the microcomputer revolution, took us through the internet revolution. It, 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 you can took us as, as creators through that, through the web thing. And what we've got now is we've got this, this, this age group going through and there's, there's nothing 
coming up behind. We've st we stopped telling our kids that this is a great thing to get involved in. And because we stopped telling them, and because we stopped explaining it, they're, they're not engaged with it. Mm -hmm. And it's not a surprise that there's nobody coming back up with, with those same skills, with those same experience, and those same desires. And we just need to kickstart them again. And as you were saying, there is so much brilliant stuff out mm -hmm. there. There's so much opportunity out there to get them really, really excited. And, and, and there is a new revolution coming, and it is around physical computing, it is around physical space, it's around the thing called the Internet of Things. And if they're not ready for it, we will just be consumers. In this. We, will not be in, we will not have the skills to create this new world that's coming. And it is coming. It's, it's got no doubt about it. Can I add, I mean, it's something else that I, I feel like I don't want to talk about the BBC from the outside, but it was something that was in your video, and it's something that I'm feeling from the few conversations I had. I think one of the differences as well is the BBC created an ecosystem the first time that was quite closed. Mm. It sounds to me, it feels to me this time, that you're creating a network yeah. of real businesses yeah. that are so, already so, doing yeah. stuff, and that should yeah. hopefully let it live on more. Because it's, it's all out there. We don't know any of this. It's, it, the, the world is doing it. And it's just really, as I said, that's why this, the spotlight thing is... We just need to put a great big spotlight and say, look, this is one of the best things that's happening in that, at this moment. Mm -hmm. You don't get engaged. You can't say that. You don't say you don't get engaged. Mm -hmm. You just say, this is so flipping fantastic. Just get involved. Mm -hmm. OK. We've got uh, some questions that have come through on Twitter. Um, so one specifically to you, Bethany. Uh, what are the best evaluation questions to ask when testing kits in workshops? Evaluation questions mm. to ask. I mean, a lot of times it's, we talk about things like um, perceptions around technology, shifts in perception. What did you think it was versus what do you think it is now? Um, a lot of questions that we ask within schools are identifying components, understanding potential of how you can make things. Um, again, and we were just talking about this, I think the thing that's really difficult, because, well, one, we're, we're still building up data and still building up um, case studies, is um, everyone wants evidence of shifts but we're so early in the process of actually seeing shifts that we can't point to something and say, okay, he's, he's now doing great stuff in the world using digital technology because he made a gamer or did gaming in school. We can't point to any of those things yet, um, but what we can do is start to see shifts in perception and honestly, like engagement, enthusiasm for technology is, is, a, is a huge like, signal. One of our teachers said that... Um, one of the girls, a really hard to reach girl in, in one of his classes, like really bad at math, really bad at science. She was amazing at soldering, like amazing. Helped all the, the other kids in the class. Confidence, understanding of technology in a whole different way. If that was the only thing that came out of it, he was happy. So. Um, one for Dan, I think. Uh, children as content creators is great, but what do the panel think about the managing ownership? of new things as in the things that they're constructing yeah. the IP that they're mm. making um, I mean it's, a, it's an interesting one in, uh, in an ideal world um, everyone can be making everything for everyone that's the kind of that's the ideal um, and so when you have groups like MIT with Scratch you know it's all about um, uh, open licenses um, and I think as Ardman you know we're um, uh, it, it, was, it was a confusing one when you speak to the lawyers and you say uh, we're going to give up a load of our assets. And then you have confusing conversations where you're discussing, well, could they use that to make their own game and sell it? And it's like, well, no, you can do that because of this license. But they could do this, this, and this. And it's all a little bit. But, um, but then that's always a conversation you have with lawyers, isn't it? Can I do this exciting thing? No. Um, and, uh, um, and so I think uh, I'm, I'm quite idealistic, but I'd say, you know, share your stuff and many things would come back. Um, and there's a, a question from... 
Jessica King saying a key block for learning seems to be giving kids safe places to practice tech skills. Uh, do you want me to come in on that? Keep blocking. Yeah, where where can you where can kids take part in it, in this stuff? I suppose. Um, you mean physically? Yeah. So I mean, I've got some. You're gonna. Well, no, go on. You go. I mean, I was, I was yeah, I mean, there is mean, there's a whole range of them. I mean, there's there's. A, I mean, what is again interesting in this space? There's a whole other code clubs opening up, code dojos opening up, hack clubs opening up, hack spaces. Um, there are people who code dojo is is like a is a, like a coding club, a physical computing club, just kids just turn up, have a whale of a time, some work them do stuff in what's called Minecraft, other kids do build stuff, other kids use Scratch. Um, it's just a place where they go, they go and have enjoy them. The biggest one, apparently the biggest one in the world is in Manchester. There's 160 kids come out and they, they have to turn kids away. Yeah, it's just, it's just amazing. Code clubs are, are, are starting up. Um, Coda Dojo want to run a hack space for kids. So kids, a hack space is where you just go and build stuff. You know, you take things apart and you rebuild it, you refunction stuff. They want to start one for kids. And I think that, that yeah, it's happening definitely in this country. And, and actually, a lot of people are looking at this country thinking, this, we're doing stuff here that's, that's beginning to get right. Go on, sorry. Yeah. No, it's fine. Um, I don't think it's... But I suppose one thing to consider as well is we're talking a lot about coding. And right now, I think a lot of the focus is on coding. Um, but I think we've touched upon a lot mm. that it's, it's not just about coding and programming. It's just about making things yeah. digitally and being creative. And so in those spaces range from everywhere from people running fashion stuff to um, you know, people doing sports. And, and, and there is just many other stuff going on. Mm. Okay, we're getting... Dangerously close to the end here. So, uh, does anyone? I can do one last question, burning question. Yes, over here. Hello. Um, so, there's been. I've been working with a few indies that are doing coding platforms just to see what they're up to, and there's been a bit of chatter about um, the risk of taking of building platforms specifically for schools, um, and then limiting the creativity because essentially you're ticking boxes for the curriculum. And I was wondering whether you've got any thoughts on that, and also whether putting it in school takes away some of the joy that you have from doing it in your own time? That's a good question. Can I take that? Yeah. From some of the research that came out from Nesta last year, we looked at kind of the difference between in-school and out-of-school learning. Um, and there's some research coming out in October for a, from Nominate Trust again that says people that are working in the digital industries... Um, and have sort of gone on that journey already. Predominantly, they've been inspired out of school. Um, and what we see from the teaching community is actually there's a hunger to look out there and see what people are using already and then bring that into their lessons rather than necessarily designing things special for them. Um, it's interesting to note though that um, boys are twice as likely to engage with this stuff outside of school than girls are. Girls are much more likely to do it in a structured way and... and um, in school at the moment, so uh, anything that you can think to do around that would be good. <laughs> uh, okay, I think um, we've got to let you go so you can make your way over to see Mallory Blackman, who's in uh, The Crucible, which is uh, about 10 minutes walk from here, so grab a beer and go there, but join me before you go thanking the panel, Sam, Bethany and Howard, thank you very much.